All right, welcome to Mr. Nice Guy again. This is episode two. Um, I'm Ben Slowey, and uh, I I uh, want to acknowledge the change of scenery uh, real quick. We're at my house right now. Uh, High Five was unable to um, provide us a space tonight, which is totally okay. They had a networking event yesterday. It was a banger, so power to them. But we're just at my house right now, and that's not going to stop the show. Uh, this week, my guest is uh, a spoken word artist and self-published author. Her book is called Black Girl Bee Storm, and she goes by the pen name Dealinda Abstract. We got Destiny Fletcher. Hello. How are you today? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? Uh, I'm good. What did you do today? Oh, what did I do today? I basically... I basically was home all day today. Nice. Yes. <laughs> I was able to actually relax because, of course, this week is going to be completely hectic. Oh, yeah. What do you got going on? Oh, work. <laughs> <laughs> work and a whole bunch of, like, projects that I'm putting together. Oh, well, well we're going to dive into all of that. You know, projects are, <laughs> projects are good. That's awesome. Well, we got, a, we got some barefoot Moscato here. Um, Which is exciting. Yeah. she uh, Destiny, uh, I, I was like, do you like beer? And she's like, I do not like beer. Do not fuck with beer. But it's okay, we're gonna sip some wine. Awesome. And we got nowhere to be either. You know, we're in the safety and my own place. Thank you. That would be nice. <laughs> We're not gonna flood your cup though, so do that. You know, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> it's going to be gone we'll, by the end. Of, yeah. Probably by the end, it's going to be gone. We'll cross that bridge <laughs> when we get there. Mm. Okay. Sweet. Yes. Sweet. Very. Yeah. <laughs> so, Destiny, um, uh, so today, I'm, uh, so this is still a pretty new project. Uh, as I said, it's only the second episode, but we're here to talk about love versus fear yes. through the uh, scope of the creative mind. Um, and... Given that you are a spoken word artist, I've seen you uh, perform poetry in the past at the uh, Jazz Gallery last year at that event, yes. and um, that was it was really cool to you know watch you project a lot of your um, you know things about your identity and how you you know you uh, fit in relation to society like as a black woman um, that's a been a recurring theme in your works and. Uh, so you're you're no stranger to expressing yourself with with words and ideas and emotions and stuff. So, um, so I feel like to start, uh, I want to, I guess, talk, I want to ask you about like how. So, where did you kind of like start becoming, um, start finding yourself using that platform of being a spoken word artist to. Uh, kind of to captivate these emotions and feelings you were having. Yeah, okay. Um, that is, I'm going to make it short because that's a very long story. But <laughs> um, back in probably about 2011 going into 2012, I was um, getting out of, getting into college, getting into freshman year of college. And I was going to a poetry open mic um, called Voltage, which is like, you know, uh, put together by Stillwaters Collective mm -hmm. yep. with Dasha Kelly. And I had completely taken off a whole uh, hiatus almost of like doing poetry back when I was in high school. Um, back in like the sixth grade to like the seventh and eighth, I was like always doing poetry, 
Um, I was going through so much in my life and just kind of basically trying to find out who I was. But like once high school hit, I was just like, I can't do that anymore. I have to focus on this. I was going through um, discrimination and racism in high school. So it was just all types of oh, yeah. just realizing what's happening in the world as I became, you know, almost an adult. And so when I got out of that, I was like, hey, it's time for me to start writing again. Different things like that. I get to this open mic. Um, and Dasha Kelly is at the desk and she's the, she's basically signing up people for either the open mic list yeah. or the slam list. And so I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to go, I'm just going to go just watch and just basically just be in this, in the presence of this, just to get like the hang of it. Mm -hmm. And so I get up to the table and she's like, Hey, are you going to do, are you doing open mic or are you doing slam? And I was like, Oh, I'm just going to, you know, sit in the audience and kind of just, yeah. just enjoy the scenery <laughs> and things yeah. like that. And then she paused and she said, are you doing the open mic or are you doing the slam? And I was like, I guess I'll do the open mic. I don't know. Um, and it was more so of, you know, being voluntold <laughs> to do something. But it was sure. something interesting. I like that term. As like, right. <laughs> I'm always voluntold when it comes to Dasha Kelly. Yeah. Um, but with that being said, once I like kind of dived into that, it was like, yo, I can get used to this mm -hmm. and then I got into slam and I was always like with new poems every other like every third Friday I was like on it and after that it was just like we went to um, end up going to um, state finals and so I was like okay and I didn't make it to like uh, um, the international finals um, but I was able to um, just basically be recognized of the work that I was doing excuse me and so one day um, she was like, hey, I need you to meet me at my house or whatever. Mm -hmm. You and like there's other people that's meeting. So I was like, what is this about? And so um, she's like, okay, well, we're going to, you know, have you guys as interns. So you guys are going to go into high schools and, yeah. you know, teach poetry sure. and things like that. And from there, it went on to, you know, me being a coach with Stillwaters Collective. So kind of like getting kids prepared for like poetry slams and essays and um, different type of literature. And it was amazing. And from that platform, it was like me also not only just coaching this art but actually like being how should i say this surrounded yeah. by all of that all the time and it was like i'm writing more i'm getting better this is what i want to write about this is and a lot of times they uh the kids would it with with um basically um they would encourage me to like write about different stories like there'll be stories that they'll mm -hmm. have um, there's moments where like, you know, we're shedding tears, we're talking, we're crying, we're, right. we're, we're basically, we're not even just coaches, but we're, we're mentors and we're, you know, we're, we're almost counselors in that sense because of, you know, knowing what these kids are going through and versus what we used to go through, what we're going mm -hmm. through now. And these are Milwaukee kids. Like yes, specifically. all of them are Milwaukee kids. Yeah. Um, I had one opportunity to coach Mad some Madison kids, but... It was always Milwaukee kids. Yeah. And so from there, it was just kind of like just building that relationship and that rapport with them as well as building them artistically. Um, and after that, it was just like, hey, you know, the, the, the fear of being on stage, the fear of being accepted in this space was gone, completely gone. Is that the short story still? That yeah, is very wow. short. There's definitely a long, long For story sure. behind that. Well, I think that uh, the the gist is uh, is definitely uh, 
that, that all makes sense, you know, mm-hmm. from one point to another. Um, yeah, I, that's interesting. Like, it's, it's crazy how, like, you can be very um, uncomfortable in kind of traditional social situations. Mm-hmm. Like, even myself, like, I get a lot of social anxiety still. Like, I, I do not like crowds. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really, di- <laughs> I don't really dig, uh, you know, the, the club scene or yeah. the, or parties that much oh, like man. it's just not never been my thing but it's like it's strange when you're in f- you're up like on stage oh, yeah. or you're in front of a camera like mm-hmm. case in point <laughs> um when you're in front of so many people that are looking to you right. to like for you to be like projecting yourself it's crazy how so much of that like uncomfortability mm-hmm. isn't there anymore. Exactly. I I always thought that was so fascinating. It's like whenever it's crazy when you're in a big space with all these people, and that's really uncomfortable at first. But suddenly, when all of them are turned to you and watching you, like it, it's like not as scary, which you think is, the opposite. Yeah, <laughs> and it happens to me a lot. A lot of people ask me all the time. They were like, "You're you know you do this a lot of times and whatever case. Okay, do you ever still feel?" I was like, "All the time." You always still feel nervous. You always get the random butterflies in your stomach. It's going to happen. Um, I always get it anywhere I go. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's just a normal human thing. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> just to experience. Because you got to, you gotta, once you're in the role, mm-hmm. you feel so much more comfortable with the direction it's mm-hmm. going. Even with the show, I was... Nervous as hell last week. I'll tell you guys that right now. I was like on edge as fuck. But I, once I, like Tanner and I uh, got in the groove of it and just started talking and we just, the rest of, you know, that anxiety that was kind of surrounding my mind, it just kind of, it subsided because Mm -hmm. my mind was just present there in that space. And Mm -hmm. I feel like the same thing might happen when you're on stage Mm -hmm. where it's just a matter of getting started. Getting started is always it becomes the natural. Most yeah, it becomes natural. Um, for me, when it comes to like the stage, not only with like when I feel like that nervous and the butterflies and things like that, but also um, once I touch the space, the stage, and I've had to teach students that too yeah. because they're always like, "Oh, I don't know, people are looking at me, whatever." Um, and I used to hate the term of picturing everybody naked. <laughs> it's the stupidest shit. That would ever. not help. Stupidest shit I've ever heard. Not gonna <laughs> and people say it all the time for like public speaking and performances and everything. It's stupidest shit. Yeah. Um, like low intrusive thoughts. Right. And I'm like, you, you're not going to pay attention to what you're talking about because you're picturing people naked. Um, <laughs> my thing has always been like, once you get on that stage, this is your space. This is your shit. Um, regardless of what poem it is, if you fuck up on this poem, nobody knows that. Yeah. So don't show that no one knows that. There's been times where I've gone to a show and I literally did probably like four lines of a poem and forgot the whole fucking poem. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, shit, my whole brain is like, oh my God, like I'm like, it's completely like falling down. But I just like start just still, just start, just start saying random shit. Yeah. <laughs> it goes with the poem. They're like, oh my God. That was such a good poem. I was like, good. Like, I, don't, I don't fucking remember any of it. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping you recorded that because I don't yeah. remember shit. Um, but yeah. yeah, that's just like how how it is. It's just being natural about it. And once you get the hang of doing that constantly, you're unstoppable. Yeah, you can't acknowledge the... If you slip up, you it, you 
whatever you do, you gotta oh, keep going. Man. I know, like, cause I I, I uh, did broadcasting in high school, mm. and when and like I read the TV announcements that you know the entire school was gonna see. Yes. And <laughs> I'm reading off a teleprompter, and if I say a word wrong, or if I stumble, oh, or man. if I like, you know, if I just start getting antsy or something like that, like the worst thing I could do was be like, oh, sorry, it, like. Like the worst Hi. thing I can do is oh, get all is get all up in like a tizzy, and uh, and that's that's when people they pay attention to that. Oh, of course. But if you just keep going and just don't acknowledge it, then the people are just they like, just they're, go with it. Yeah, they don't know what the hell is on the prompter. Yeah. So it's like just say what the hell you were gonna say. Yeah, totally. And that's and that in alone will redeem yourself from any typos or mistakes mm -hmm. that you make. Because like no one's gonna pay attention to it if you do. Right. And I usually it's 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 sad because afterwards I beat myself up about it. I'm like, damn, you knew yeah. that whole line and you didn't say that shit. Okay. But like <laughs> yeah. but I always have to like just basically just come back to it and just say, Well no, they don't know they don't know that shit. They they haven't heard that poem before, so it's cool. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. Like, so it's always been like that. But then you're like, oh, my friends have heard this thing. Right. That's <laughs> the funniest shit ever. I've had experience like that too. But it was one of my friends that we were like going back and forth because we had to memorize this poem in like a matter of like three hours. <laughs> oh, shit. These are all new pieces. And it's like, shit, you have to remember. And so it was so messed up. Like my friend was like watching me do it. Like we were performing. And he asked at the end, he was like, he was like, in the beginning, He's like, yeah, he's like, this this don't sound like the poem that, that we rehearsed. But then as I was going on, he was like, well, maybe this is the poem that we rehearsed. Okay. Um, but it, it was just like that, just kind of like bringing that energy out, saying that, hey, like I can, I can fuck up and still not show that I fucked up either. Mm -hmm. So it was interesting. Um, it's always interesting. I always fuck up on stage. Oh, <laughs> People don't know, yeah. but I always fuck up on stage. Suck. <laughs> okay, we're good. Um... I mean to be honest, these like the, the the like wine bottles in general, um, they don't have shit really in them. Yeah. No, I know <laughs> I okay. I'll We're only on our second cup. I know. It's like and we have it's not even it's not it, even going to fill up somebody left. else's stuff, to be no. honest. I first knew that from uh when I was doing a Passover with my family, you know, mm. uh, shout out uh, Jew crew, right? <laughs> um, but I know we always had the uh, sparkling juice, and oh, we can't go come in these bottles, right? And I would get so excited for it. It was what I look forward to every year. My mom knows this. Like I, I was, <laughs> I would always drink it before dinner even started. Oh, man. But it, you like. Two glasses in, and the bottles already like damn near gone. Like, oh my wow. yeah, exactly. Like, and I'd be like, you like, what the hell? Where'd it go? Yeah. Like, and it's so. It's funny. a scheme. Somebody yeah. was saying the other day that I was seeing memes, and they were like, they were like creating little alcoholics because they would give us like the little yeah. glasses with a sparkling yeah. wine, and like a lot of the kids were like walking around like they were drunk or something. I was like, mm -hmm. yeah, this is, this is how we became how we became. Yeah, right. We're drinking actual alcohol now. Yeah, that shit was. Uh, <laughs> Conditioning us for the real thing. Mm -hmm. um, so now that you're also a self-published author, yes, I think that's pretty fucking cool. Yes, it is. Um, yeah, it's hard as shit though. I, <laughs> like the, the author part of the publishing. Oh part. man, um, the publishing part is hard as shit. Um, 
I had been working on Black Girl Be Storm for like, like two years prior. Yeah. Um, it actually wasn't even supposed to be released. Mm -hmm. um, but something was like, hey, there was like almost like an epiphany of it because it was supposed to be another project before yeah. that. But then after that, it's like, hey, I'm putting this together. I use like Microsoft Publisher. I was putting shit together, pay for the ISBN code and the barcode, put in sh like kind of like microscope and shit. It was, mm -hmm. it was so, it's so much work, but it definitely pays off once you get it printed. It's so beautiful. Yeah. The only thing, like the pros and cons of it, like the pros are you get everything from it. So every type of money, whatever the case may be, you're not having to split it with anyone, no manager, no nothing, um, no publishing company. Um, but the cons of it is you have to work your ass off to push it. Yeah. That is the hardest thing. Um, but I do recommend for those who are self-publishing to immediately take their book to Woodland Patterns. Um, Woodland Pattern Book Center. Oh, my goodness. They have pushed my books so much to the point where I'm constantly getting called saying, hey, we ran out of your books. Can we get more? Wow. Um, and the same goes for like, uh, I want to say a few years back. Um, I was talking, I got a phone call from them and they say, hey, so every year we take a, a book that we recently got from uh, a local artist. Mm -hmm. um, we take a book to the selectors at the Milwaukee Public Library, mm -hmm. which is cool because no one ever does that yeah. um, at any bookstore. Wow. Um, and they were like, yeah, and the selectors were looking through our books and they want more copies. And I was like, what does that mean? I said, well, they want copies to have in the Milwaukee Public Library. I was like... Dude. Me? <laughs> Me of all people? Oh my, oh my god. I cried on the phone like a big ass baby. Really it was terrible. <laughs> but I was like freaking out. And so now there's like, Milwaukee Public Library has like five copies of my book. So like there's one in like the Martin Luther King Drive one. Uh, there's one in the Mill Road Library. There's one in the Capitol Library. Yes. And Center Street, I believe. Yes. Yes, I believe so. <laughs> Damn, you've got some presence. I'm trying. I've, I've been like, oh my gosh. So it's, it's just been one of those things. Those are like, some pretty, uh, those are some big, those are some prevalent institutions to have your book in. Exactly. So that's awesome. And they have one at the Central Library as reference. Cool. So they don't give that one out. Mm -hmm. I know that one for sure. They don't give that one out. But they have that one there as reference. For sure. So mm -hmm. I, I have to uh, confess, I, <laughs> I haven't read, I, I just don't read books very well. I just have a hard time with the patience for it, but um, if you'd mind uh, kind of just describing mm. the process behind, you know, your book's premise and like what, just kind of what you faced internally as, you know, the show, be, or excuse me, as the book began to come to life. So, um, for me, what I wrote the book for was specifically for complicated girls of color. Um, who are experiencing all types of shit in society, whether it's being, you know, being um, aware of themselves, being going through what their body is exposed to, far as body positivity, far as um, what society calls what your body is supposed to look like, and um, just basically being self-confident, to being confident in yourself, being mm -hmm. self-aware of who you are as a person and learning that through the traumas that you go through. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we experience trauma all the time. <laughs> we experience trauma from from birth to adulthood to death. 
Yeah. Um, and it, it's it's one of those things that like I was like we I have to write about this. This isn't just I never write just for myself. Yeah. Never write for just for myself. Sure. It is a pro and cons for that too because there's sometimes where I'm like I want to write a poem specifically for myself mm -hmm. and not be able to share it, but I like still think of like okay well someone needs to hear this story someone needs to hear this because maybe this will save a life one day maybe this will you know encourage a woman or a girl to be powerful yeah, in course. her own body sure. and her own self and so i never write poems about myself anymore or for myself i should say for sure <laughs> that's i mean no like that's that's great especially when like especially when you have um just kind of that own kind of self-image of yourself where you you envision yourself using your knowledge and using your capabilities and talents in order to help other people you know like that's that's kind of like some of the most profound ways that a lot of you know artistic expression comes to life like in especially in this age right. when it's it's easier than ever to be able to share your ideas you know with the age of technology and the internet and everything like that but especially like now and while a lot of these societal like status quos that have marginalized you know like people it's um you know while a lot of these things are being challenged like we like this is just, it's just the beginning. Like we still have a lot of fucking work to do. Exactly. And the first and the first way and I think that probably the one of the first ways to do that is to, you know, own your image. You know, own the the skin that you live in and right. and, fuck. and it takes a while for that. People think that this shit is like you woke up and you're like, Oh, I'm happy, oh I'm confident in myself, oh I'll walk out and just be be better part of the day. Um, it, it took a while, like mm -hmm. years for me to get into this body yeah. and to own it into everywhere I go, I own my space, um, because it's mine. For sure. You know, I give that ownership. This is mine. This is my space. This is who I am. I don't give a fuck about you feeling like, yeah. you know, and there's sometimes where I've had to like kind of tone it down because I am a huge extrovert at many of times. Um, where I'm, I've been told that my personality is super fucking big, but at the same time, it's like, it's big for a reason because I had been in this shell yeah. for so long. And now that it's out there, it's not going anywhere. Oh, wow. I refuse to let it go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll drink to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, no, and that's. That's a pretty like profound statement, you know, because you know it's uh, um, especially when you know you're you're giving those um, you're you're presenting yourself with that with that self confidence and that that um, you know I'm trying to like find the what what word. I keep trying to use, man, man that, that wine might be doing I'm going to give you some more. Yeah, you're going to make, <laughs> maybe more is going to make me think of the word I'm trying to use. Um, That's hilarious. Prowess. That was, that was the word. Okay. When, when you present yourself with that much, like, prowess, um, it's going to encourage other people that feel, that uh, sympathize or, or find themselves in the, in the same 
like social predicaments as you have in your life, they're going to feel empowered to do the same thing exactly. and know that it's okay. And that's why these, you know, that's why not only, it's not only part of like the social movements and like the calls for justice and the marches and all, like all that stuff is great. Mm -hmm. All the policy changes are great, but specifically how those things present within like the art, yeah. that is a way that is, going to resonate with on such a larger scale. This is an inner being and people don't understand that we fight all the time for policies. We fight all the time for changes, but no one ever looks at it as, is this going to benefit me personally? Right. Is this going to change how I feel about myself? Yeah. And that's where a lot of people are constantly like, I want to be there for a cause. I want to be there for a change, but I'm still going to go home, I'm still going to be self-loathing, I'm still going to be at the end of the day. And it's like, how do you break that void? How do you become a better person just for you, not for everyone around you, but just specifically for you? And so I had to learn that the hard way. I had to learn how to accept myself. There is a project that I'm working on right now. Um, <clears throat> Uh, it is actually it's supposed to be a, a poetry comic book. Oh wow! Um, That's new. Which, right. So, oh, yeah. so it's like I have no type of like like blueprint to look at to say, hey, yeah. this is how it goes. Um, mm -hmm. And with that work, uh, the the book is called Day Twelve and Still No Wi Fi. And I had to experience fourteen days without Wi Fi in my home, and it got to the point of understanding what my um, my mental health was like going through depression going through hey all these outlets that you used to have yeah. to distract yourself are gone now so mm -hmm. now you're stuck with yourself totally. how do you deal with that how do you go through that without not thinking that hey I'm worthless hey you know I can leave this world today and not and no one would care and it just it was all of that kind of based into those days um, and I had to experience that in the roughest time because it mm -hmm. was like People were like, hey, well, you know, Wi-Fi isn't just, isn't, isn't as important or whatever. But that was what was keeping me from being with myself. Yeah. I was always distracted. It was always where I'm playing the video game. It was, I'm on the computer doing this or I'm, you know, doing this with my TV. Like, it's just a lot of stuff. Oh God, and yeah. once, like, I had, like, locked myself in my room at this time. Because I was like, how do I go through this? Right. That's such a con of, of like our reliance on what technology exactly. is. Called. I'll tell you when I when we first moved into this place, mm. we didn't have Wi Fi for like three weeks. Mm. And I mean, we were actually able to like you know, I was able to like go on like social media and use the internet, like um, well on my phone I was, but like right. I couldn't use my laptop, like we couldn't like we, we had DVDs and we could right. like, watch, you know, some the, the bootleg DVDs that we had and shit. <laughs> but, but it's like, it's crazy how the, the sheer, like, um, like, just the sheer, uh, kind of hole that, mm -hmm. that you get that of your life and how connected you feel with the relation to the world around right. you just isn't there when no. you can't just like you know go on your computer and like it was like once i got into the house yeah. i was shut off from the world it was yeah. so weird it was like one of those things and at this time this was like 
as I had just became an adult. Mm -hmm. So I was like not into like, oh, it's going to be on Facebook, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. It was literally just blah. Like it was all of that. And so um, I would go on social media, I'm like, okay, I have a Facebook, I'm talking to people, whatever. But it was just like, at that time, I wasn't really familiar with just myself in general. So to go on with 14 days of not having Wi-Fi, any type of internet service, plus we didn't have cable, yeah. plus we didn't, you know, so it was just like, I'm in this dead zone when I get home. Yeah. Cable has actually depreciated in value, though. Like, cause we, we have our, our uh, <laughs> streaming websites. Shout out, Putlocker. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I, I'll, I hear you, though. Like, and it's part of just, like, our dependency, you know. It's, right. it's part of our dependency as, which, like, I, I relate to a lot because I'm always on social media. It's a big part of how I, yeah. it's a big part of how, I make a lot of the things I do come true or the ideas I have. It's, it's, you know, a product of my access to the internet and my friends and my social media and whatever. But yeah, it, it, it definitely, the Wi-Fi is a fucking bust. Oh man. But. <laughs> and to experience yeah. that, I, it, it took me for a whirlwind, but actually by the 14th day, I just was like, our Wi-Fi had came back on and I was like, I don't even want it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't even I'm already want on, it. I'm too I, ex I accepted myself and I was like opening up to myself and appreciating who I was. And that's where a lot of the confidence came from. Yeah, that's sure. where a lot of it was like, you know, this is this is who you are and you have to accept who you are yeah. through your mental health, through your balance, through your traumas, mm -hmm. through your drama, all of that yeah. shit. So it was it was something. It was really interesting. Yeah. And so that project, I don't know when that's going to release this year because I'm, uh, of course, working on not only my time, but my illustrator's time. Yeah. Um, and that's going to be so fun because I've already like seen like, pieces of it. And I'm like, I'm super excited. So I'm going to like take my time with this because usually I just try to rush shit out just because. But I'm going to take my time with but this. But that's an amazing idea just for, you know, only not only because like, it's a true story, but also right. like it's <laughs> it's because cool it's so fucking relatable to people. Exactly. You know, so oh relatable. man. So, um, so as you, um, so you wrote your book, uh, and it came out in twenty sixteen, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so it's been three years now, and it's, um, and it's been a, it's been a really like you know weird time you know in our it's it's like we've grown inevitably progressive as a society but obviously we are still in a we live under an administration that that uh limits the the abilities of or i should say the, the capabilities of a lot of progressive movements to like move forward with mm -hmm. policy changes and stuff like that um and i i'm interested in so like obviously like with you as with the voice of a black woman, you know, if like you clearly had so much to say that you were able to write an entire book about it, you know, that is like, you know, that's worth, you know, that's worth owing to. Um, how have your like, you know, emotions as you were like writing the book and as you were as it was developing as a project how have they evolved since then in those three years, like since the book first 
like, you know, came to be. And, like, what has changed, you know, about what you were feeling when you were writing the book and what, you know, what is still, what's still there? Um, one thing that is not there anymore um, is the fear of not being able to express myself. Mm -hmm. um, when I first wrote the book, I was like, oh, oh, that poem sucks. Oh, that poem's not going to be relatable to certain people. Oh, this. And then with hearing others say, like, hey, that poem really touched me. That poem really did this. And, you know, I really love when you perform this piece and different things like that. Or people actually, like, I have, <laughs> there was this random couple who came. They had been following me for, like, three shows, and I didn't know about it. Um, until they finally came up and talked to me, like, hey, we read about you in an article, and, and we just wanted to know, like, what your work was, and I was like, what fucking article is that? But I still have to smile, and, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you know, different things like that, but it was just, like, that fear of judgment, that fear of self-doubt is what, um, caused me to be so pushed back about it. Like, mm -hmm. I released the book, and I was like, okay, I released it, what do I do with it now? Like, yeah. it's done. Right, right. I have the books at my house. What right. do I do with this? And from there, it was like, um, just loving that. The idea, I wrote this book specifically, mm -hmm. not just for myself. And so, knowing that I didn't just write this for myself, I felt that I was responsible for my readers to experience what I experienced. I was responsible for people around me to feel loved and feel confident in themselves and to feel self-empowered and to feel um, genuinely supported in their decisions, whether it be, you know, to be a black woman, whether to be um, any woman of color, whether to be a plus size woman, whether to be, you know, anything in that, in that realm. And it felt good. Yeah. You know, and when I lost that fear of it, it was like, I got this. Yeah. This poem I wrote was specifically for that person, but seven other people love that poem because mm -hmm. it touched them in a way. Um, when people ask me about different poems, like say, what were you thinking about when you wrote this poem? I was like, for sure, I wasn't just thinking about myself. Um, but when they go in terms of like their interpretation of what those poems are, mm -hmm. like, did you, did you feel that? And I was like... Yeah, like I'll agree to it because I've never been the type of person that just was like writing was like, okay, this poem is specifically about this. Um, when people interpret my poems in their own opinion and their yeah. own way, I'm like, yeah, I wrote that specifically for that too. Right, yeah. You know, because right. it doesn't, I don't want to make it seem like I'm writing like, oh no, this is what this poem is actually about. You know, you really take that into consideration, mm -hmm. take that as in someone's going to get it this way, someone's going to get it this way. Yeah. Everyone's gonna read it differently, exactly. Way, but as long as it and I love that, yeah. As long I as it speaks that. to them, exactly. Like, that is like someone yeah. had pointed out something in my in like one of my poems, and I was like, I never even thought about that. Wow. But yeah, I wrote specifically yeah. for that too. <laughs> like that's interesting. Right. Hey, that's food. It's it can be food for thought Absolutely. for like what you know, like for the future of like you know how you uh, what your ideas come to fruition mm -hmm. as. Um, and also, like, your poem, I Am Woman, is one of your more acclaimed <laughs> poems that you perform frequently, yes? I had never had a signature poem until I did this poem. Yeah, yeah and I, I think...
think that um, a lot of what you mentioned that like your book touches on um, is kind of uh, it intertwines a lot with uh, the thematic material of um, your poem and would like typically like did you have like some of the same ideas in mind like when you were writing that poem? I basically I wrote specifically because again it is um, to dedicate and as a declaration to Eartha Kitt, Nina Simone, and Grace Jones. Those are like three of my favorite women yeah. in the world. Yeah. Um, we have lost two of them. Hopefully we don't lose Grace Jones anytime soon. Oh, yeah, sure. um, but them speaking out and just to be as powerful as they were as they were in the, not only just the media but just in life itself. They're iconic. Mm -hmm. um, they're women who always spoke about you know, what it, what it means to be a woman in this world, what it means to be a black woman in this world, what it means to be a strong and powerful woman in this world. And I think um, people are intimidated by that. Yeah. There's a lot of people who are intimidated by that, a lot of men who are intimidated about that. Oh, and yeah. I, take, yeah. I take pride in that because I'm like, yo, this is where all of that confidence came from. This is where all of that self-appreciation came from. Mm -hmm. um, and to know that whenever I walk out of my house, wherever I walk onto a stage, I own this space because it's for me. Mm -hmm. And I've made this as myself. I never walk into a room now expecting to be nervous or expecting yeah. to be, you know, um, ostracized or whatever the case may be. I blatantly walk into a room and I feel, I feel the room, and the room feels me. Oh yeah, Destiny, we are we are running out of time, okay. um, but uh, I have to ask, what keeps you up at night? <laughs> um, shit. <laughs> what keeps me up at night? Um, wondering. <laughs> yeah. Wondering what's the possibilities, whether it is be fear, whether it is be love, um, what it is to be um, just here in this world, what will happen next is the only thing that I usually worry about. Mm -hmm. And that's for anything, yeah. what will happen next. Totally. Yeah, and touching up on your point um, when you were talking about uh, your poem, it's, it's important because I, I think a key thing you said is like, like when you mentioned that, like a lot of men were intimidated by you know you you, uh, you expressing yourself. It's something that I've learned is that people like when they get when they're forced to challenge themselves internally, when they're forced to like when they have that cognitive dissonance where they have to think about you know their own behavior, their own actions, and stuff like that, and. They, they, that's what intimidates people. Like, mm -hmm. that is what makes them, and some people act very adversely to that. Yeah. And, and that's a sign that, like, you are, you're doing something right. Because you are, you're, you're evoking an emotional response where they are forced to, like, look at themselves and not be pleased by something mm -hmm. that you pointed out or something like that. And this is their way of defending themselves. Like, I think about that anytime, like, I have like an internal, like, um, or, well, I should say, anytime I have, um, like, when I see something in the news about, like, something to do with, like, whether it be, you know, um, like, feminism, or, or, like, people of color, or, like, 
LGBT rights or anything like that. It's like, like I, I'm I'm a cis white male, and there's some things I will never be able to understand. <laughs> and but the best thing I can do is look inward and see how I can do better, like in relation to you know these various people of backgrounds that are different from mine, and you know hear them, listen to them, see where they're coming from. You know what can I, how can I apply like these ideas into my own life and my own behavior and how I can, how I can be better, you know? And, and I think that that's just, that's the most, like, you don't have to always understand what somebody is doing. Like some things I'll never understand, but the best thing I can do is respect it and hear it. And acknowledge that it's there. And acknowledging it. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So I think in that way, it's like, you know, that ties into that, that worry about what's going to happen next is like, you know, you have to be ready for anything. Right. And there's some things you're not, and that's a feeling that like, you know, some people like aren't used to feeling because it's not something they have to worry about. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, but, <laughs> but, you know, that's, that's why, you know, it's great that, you know, a voice like yours is able to project that and get people thinking critically about these things. So then, what puts you to sleep, though? What puts me to sleep? Um, Letting myself know that I cannot control the future. Um, I can control my own future, but I can't control what happens with the world and things are changing constantly. Um, That's what put me to sleep. Let's me know, like, hey, you know, whatever happens tomorrow, the shit's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can't, you know, there's certain things I control. There's some things I can't control as a human being. Um, I think of myself godly, but um, I cannot, you know, change what other people think and what other people, um, other people's opinions are and their actions. But however, I can try to at least um, give it a new perspective. You can only control your own destiny. Exactly. Your destiny. <laughs> um, thank you so much for being on the show. Absolutely. I, thank you for having I, me. I had a great time. <laughs> this wine's got me feeling good. Um, it's yeah, gone now. It is gone. <laughs> the yes. whole bottle is gone yeah, now. Yeah, polished off. Um, but we had a great talk. Um, thank you guys for watching. Mr. Nice Guy again. We'll be here next week. Um, so, yeah. All right, that's it.